Hello, and welcome to Detours, a Glory Sports podcast where I, David Stahl, digital editor of Glory Sports, sit down with sports figures who have achieved excellence in their fields through bold, unconventional, strange, and novel practices. From athletes to community leaders, sports psychologists to coaches, media personalities to front office executives, I'll be inviting guests on the program to show listeners how they might learn to explore excellence by paving detours of their own. Today's episode features former professional basketball star and current cinematographer, Daryl Wong. Over the course of the last few months, I've had the chance to get to know Daryl personally, and his story is one I feel so privileged to know. Daryl's creative vision has evolved so steadily since his playing days to the point where he's carved out an entirely new career as a director and photographer in his own right. Throughout our episode, we talk about the drastic pivot he took from globetrotting around the world playing pro basketball to becoming one of Canada's most sought-after cinematographers. Growing up in New York's rich basketball culture, Daryl has been informed by so many different influences throughout his life, and now he gets to channel them through a new lens in a literal sense. Truly, he embodies everything we celebrate in a successful detour, so we hope you enjoy his story. start us off obviously as someone who who grew up in new york state and was playing in in new york basketball circuits and Mm -hmm. that's such a unique culture in and of itself i'm wondering as someone who has all of these other interests whether it's creative interests of photography and and directing and also athletic skills I'm, i'm wondering what was your first love was basketball that first love and did you all you see yourself okay, I'm going to grow up and follow in the footsteps of all these other New York basketball players and, and I'm going to go pro. Is that always the vision? Yeah, so I uh, always thought I was going to go pro. I loved basketball, always loved basketball. Um, I even know nothing about film, filmmaking or anything like that. I was never in a vision. Like I never used to take pictures or anything like that. I just, I just played basketball like um my older bro, I used to be called his shadow cop. I always go wherever he went. I was dribbling the basketball behind him, right? So that was my way of leaving, getting out the hood. And and my way of getting out in the world was through basketball. I was, my parents really couldn't like pay for college like that. So I was like, this is like how I'm going to go to school. This is this is going to be my world, right? So um, once I fell in love with it, I realized the opportunities that it could provide for me because I started getting better. I just started giving myself more and more and more into it. I mean, I'll live at the park <laughs> from sun up to sundown. I mean, I was playing, I was getting up shots, I was working on moves. And um, yeah, it was was my first love and still is one of my main love. I mean, I still love the game. It's, it's the reason why I'm successful in other parts of my life is because of basketball. Mm. And I'm wondering... Who was the blueprint for you in terms of, okay, that that's a path I can follow, uh, whether it's m- maybe someone who we wouldn't even know, but who gave you the blueprint of, okay, if I don't have the financial tools at my disposal to go to school, this is, basketball can, can give me a chance at a, a different life. Was there someone who offered that blueprint to you? So I guess my first like my best one of my basketball mentors was um hank williams he's like one of my best friends fathers and um he's the one who put together one of the first au teams i was on and 
took us outside of New York and had us play places. And um, he was a really good basketball player back in his day. And he was like talking to me and getting in my head about like, yo, you know, this game could take you places. It could get you to school. It could get you out of here. And you could do amazing things with it. Because, you know, when you love it, you're just playing like, just playing, you just enjoy playing. And everybody, kid, every kid has dreams of making it to the NBA, but like you don't really know the ins and outs of it. You just know I'm gonna get nice one day, get nice enough to it. NBA's gonna call my name, right? But um he gave me harsh realities as in like um we had a lot of players come out for the team and we had I don't know, maybe fifteen, sixteen players make a team, but when we travel, we only travel with like ten, maybe twelve. So you have, you know, you have to leave people home. And like on the first road trip, he felt like I wasn't working hard enough. I wasn't giving myself, the, putting my best foot forward enough to, I deserve to be on that roster. So he left me home. And he told me, he was like, if you want to keep doing this, if you want to make something out of this, you got to put more work in. So that was like one of my first reality hits. Like, you know what? I got to stop messing around. I got to start putting more work into my game. So, um, yeah, he was like one of my first back basketball mentors and I used to talk to him often and um he used to uh, give me good advice about my game he he helped me got me into like finding training and all stuff like that and then from there you know my father is a huge mentor for me and just in life in general not just basketball he didn't play but like you know what I mean any games he could make it to he'll, he'll come and he'll critique my game and you know what I mean? You should have shot from this corner more. You should you should have, um, this guy was freeing over here. You should have head fake more. Just a little thing. He studied the game so you could be able, we could be able to have these conversations. And then it was my high school coach, um, Coach Daryl Lopez, who made me understand that I could be a star. You know what I mean? He gave me that freedom to be a star on a high school team. You know what I mean? It was, uh, I moved up to varsity at a young age and the older guys, you know, they're seniors. They had a senior team when I was first on varsity. I might have been like in 10th grade, I think. And I didn't really get to play that much, like little bits here and there. And, you know, and being with a senior team, there's the like the hazing aspect of it. And I was like, man, I was like, forget this. And like, you know, I wanted to fight these guys every day. He made me understand it's like your time's going to come. Just keep putting in the work. Keep doing what you're doing. You're going to keep growing. You're going to keep getting better. And when I got to my junior, the team became mine. It was like he let me embrace that and um he always you know i mean he was like a rally for me like you know i mean you could do it i mean really big and he used to tell me all the time i'm gonna be his first pro he's telling me that all the time so he helped building that confidence in me as well so and then the organization of my high school like with um the coaches there like mr lewis and um we had coach neil and we had coach askinoff like um and some of the older guys should come back so along with like um this guy around my neighborhood, Ann Cox, who was a big pusher of me. He was older than me, so he used to try to bully me on the court to make me tougher. Um, and then also my older bro, Stephen Warren, he he was like a football player. He was an all-sports, football, basketball, baseball. And like I said, he used to be his shadow, but he like he used to tell me he used to keep me away from danger. He used to like not let me run around with gangs and do not stuff. He's like, yo, son, you're going to make it so far. You're going to be great. Just keep, just keep playing with the rock. Keep, keep doing it. Man, I see it in you, man. You're going to be better than me. You're going to be better than da, 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 da. That you want to change the whole family. I had a good circle that, you know, my family is very tight knit and we had a good circle that people that believed in me. And I mean, there's a lot of people that didn't believe in me, but like the people that I had that believed in me, that pushed me, that, um, gave me that encouragement that I needed, um, is why I had the success that I did. Mm-hmm. 
And something you said there really resonated with something I want to touch on a little bit later, but that idea of being at the bottom of that totem pole playing varsity as a, as a younger guy and the hazing. And it's interesting. I think sometimes we think, oh, we're, we leave that in high school or we leave that in, in college and university and we get into the, the adult and working world. And, oh, no, 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 people who have been in the space longer than us, there's always insecurity. And, and those things come back around for sure. But I, I don't want to jump too far ahead because your story is a, a long one and a rich one, of course. So I'm curious, was, was there any, you know, one quote from your brother that kind of stuck with me is, you know, you're, you're going to make it for the whole family. I'm curious if, if there was any pressure alongside that. Obviously, there was a really healthy dynamic between all of you. But knowing, okay, I gotta, I have to keep my head down. I have to work hard. I have all these God-given abilities that are going to give me opportunities. I have to execute properly. Was that a pressure that you felt at the time? Um, no, like my family never put pressure on me or anything like that. Um, it was, if any pressure I had it was me putting it on myself of like trying to get more notoriety coming out of New York. There's a lot of good hoopers out there. So, you know, you're trying to separate yourself from others. And um, so any pressure I had was um, on me, like that I put on myself. Like, you know, articles and you're hearing like other players' stories. You're like, oh, man, you try to see where you're at and where, kind of where they were at and things of that sort. But, yeah, there was no pressure from like, my family anything like that like any pressure was on me then like when i became known around new york from a skill level and you know the games would be packed to come watch us play um there was pressure like that putting on for the hood putting on you know i mean my senior year we were undefeated so it was the pressure of like having to be the season and there's that so even though we end up losing in the state championship but like the whole ride there we won like i think three four championships on the way to the states right so there was that pressure but the only pressure I really had was really on myself and like trying to make it out, trying to get out of here. Like, I want to leave New York. I want to see how far I could go with this. I want to play against the best. I want to see the world. I want to do everything that I dreamed about doing with this game. Yeah, that was just the pressure I put on myself. And th and that form of pressure is what allows anyone, not not just professional athletes, to really be in love with their craft, right? Is you want the internal pressure, not the external pressure. And and again, that's a commonality. Finding ways to add pressure to yourself is a commonality of any elite athlete, I, I would imagine. But I'm so curious, of course, from someone who, who grew up there and grew up with with challenges, um, you see it through a different life. I'm so fascinated by New York basketball culture, especially during that era. I'm, I'm wondering if you feel it's helped shape your personality or really mold who you are outside of just on the court through your current creative endeavors or that competitive New York gritty basketball scene. How, how do you feel it has sort of shaped you through your life? It definitely, um, the coming up the culture of New York, coming up playing basketball in New York, it definitely shaped me. You know, you had to be tough. You had to, um, couldn't back down and people talking trash to you on the court you got to back it up you, especially if you're going to say something else you got to back it up you know, or you'll get thrown off the park you'll get laughed out the park and um you'll be that label will just stick with you right oh that person soft that person can't hoop you know what i mean and you had like certain sections of the courts like you don't come on the court unless you can hoop and then when we got older we start driving 
We started like getting our five and just driving to other neighborhoods and going to play. Like, all right, let's go hit Brooklyn. Let's hit all these courts in Brooklyn. Like, okay, let's go to the Bronx. Let's go to this part of Queens. You know what I mean? And um, it builds a, a hustle mentality. Um, it builds a strength. Like, once, like, especially once I like, I played and I'd done enough and I started really, really training. Like, by the time after my first year of college, I started really, really training like with a professional trainer. I used to like go into gyms sometimes. I'd be like, what I came through and what I who I played against, like these guys ain't nothing to me. Like it, it gives you a level of arrogance or confidence, and you just know how to work hard and hustle and know how to fight through the bruises and stuff. The hardest thing that I had to learn to do is coming up in New York, especially well, me. I'm not gonna say for every New Yorker, but a lot of New Yorkers are like this. You got a mouthful. You know, what I mean, you want to talk back, you want to lash out when somebody says something to you, like what? Nah, blah, 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 because you're not trying to show no weakness. And um, I had to learn in college, keep my mouth shut at certain times because I was getting in trouble. But I'm thinking I'm speaking up for myself, but like I'm causing a ruckus. I'm just talking back. I'm lashing out. And um, and it cost me at times throughout my career. But as I got older and I moved into pro and started traveling the world and playing and being embedded in different cities and different cultures and different countries, you learn to adapt and that was like one of the best things to happen to me. So even now, you know, I mean, living in Canada, it's sometimes I like, I'll feel that New Yorker in me coming out. My wife would make a joke. She's like, you're a New Yorker showing, like, put it away, put it away. You don't need that right now. You're New Yorker showing. Cause like, you know what I mean? I'll have them days where it just comes out and I'll just um, lashing back out or cause you're like, you like, coming up New York, like, don't let nobody disrespect you. You can't. You let somebody disrespect you and people find out it's like that becomes who you are. It's like, oh, you get over on that guy right there. And then other people want to try you. So it's like when you show that you're not going to be disrespected or you run with people that are not going to allow you to be disrespected, you built that up in you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering if there was ever a moment when, you know, you're driving from court to court. Was there ever a moment where that ego did get checked that stands out to you growing up? Because that is a rite of passage to some degree, right? Um, There was one. I don't, I don't want to tell him this one. It was a... This is when I was young too. Um, so this is before I could drive, but my cousin, I mean, um, my big bro, he could drive. He's like two years older than me. And we was at a park and I was just, we were winning and I was just talking. Straight hot trash, was just talking, giving it to him. We were winning. And the guy was like, yo, we need to shut the little kid up. Well, I was like, grow me. You need to shut the little kid up. And I was just going out, I was like, what, you just mad because you're getting buckets on you? Like, you can't do nothing, you can't handle us. Like, you know what I mean? You can pick anybody you want to cook, you're not going to be this. Just going at him, going at him. They lost. And I was laughing. I was pointing at him when he's walking up to court, just giving everything I had. And then um, he pulled out a knife out of his bag. His No, he went in his bag and walked to the side. And that's what happened. And he was going to check up Rock, and the other guys were coming over to court. And then he grabbed me from behind and put the knife to my neck. He's like, yo, say something. He's like, say something now. And I, I couldn't say nothing. And I could just feel the blade up against my neck. My bro, uh, my bro was just standing there. And he, like, he has this, his fist balled up. And he just he was wrecked. He was like, yo, if he makes any move, I'm just going to attack him. And um, the guy, I forgot how the, we ended up pressuring him to the point where he ended up letting me go. And then ended up being a big fight and the whole works and stuff like that. But um, he ended up running from the park. But. Yeah, that was like, you know, I remember on the ride home, he was like, yo, you got to shut up some, man. He's like, it's cool we talking a little bit, but like, we see people start getting agitated and you got to learn to shut up, man. So I'm not always going to be there. 
to, you know, you fight with you or to have your back, like sometimes you're going to be on your own. So you like, you got to know when to talk and when to shut up. So that was like my, that's my first realization of that. Like you just can't talk trash to everybody. Any type of way you want is like a certain level you don't cross, right? Mm-hmm. And part of the goal of, okay, I'm, I'm going to get good enough at this where I can get to a, a school or an area where, look, if I, if I do go too far, I don't know. I don't have a knife across my neck. And again, you, you got to that point. I mean, just to illuminate people who maybe aren't familiar with your background, you did play through college. You did go through the professional circuit as well. I'm, I'm wondering, cause it's so tough. Each athlete has their own specific goals. Each person, right? It, it's never there's never any set mold for um success in in a career i'm wondering what the point was at your career as a basketball player where you thought wow damn i did it honestly it was okay i guess the first time i had been i came back from overseas what country did i come back from i don't know if it was argentina or it was ecuador after i won the championship it was, one, it was one of those two countries, but I came back and I was on a block and I was talking with my fam, um, my cousin Kenny and my bro Steve, my big bro Steve. And um, he looked at me and he was like, yo, son, I'm so proud of you. And I mean, I, I heard from, you know, I heard from my parents and my mom, my pops and my aunts and my uncles. And I heard it from them before, but like, you know what I mean? I always looked up. I always looked up to Stevie. I always looked up to him. And he, he like, since, since my eyes opened his world, he always had my back. So it was like, um, you know, him, he like, that was the first time, like, like he said it before, but he like, he said it with such like a heartfelt presence. He was like, yo, so you like, you're doing it. He's like, it's like, yo, so it's like my passport. I'm coming over there with you. He's like, yo, you're doing it. And um, that was like my first realization. Like I'm actually doing it. And I was already like, maybe like three or four years in playing pro at that point. And then when my career ended, when I had my injury and my career was over, sitting down, I was having a drink with my, my, with my father and all my wife. And they broke, put in perspective of me, of looking at it, of my career. Because, you know, I didn't make the NBA. I mean, I worked out for like three NBA teams, got cut, I didn't make it. So, you know what I mean? That was the ultimate goal. But they put it in perspective for me. It was like, yo, you did live the dream, man. And, when I started thinking, um, started writing down all the countries I've been in and what I did there, championships that I won and the people that I met, it made me realize how big and great of a career that I had in this 10 year span, right? So those are the two times that actually dawned on me. Everything else in between then, it's like you're just grinding. I mean, it's the workouts, the three, four workouts a day. And then when you get overseas and you're on the team, like, Every day could be your last. Like, it could cut you any day. Your money's not guaranteed. So it's like, I got to put in work every day. You know, you enjoy yourself as well, but it's like, I'm working because when you're one of two or three imports and it's easy to get rid of you than it is to get rid of some other people on the team because they're locals, right? So, um, yeah, it was just like, if you want to get rid of me, it's because some weird stuff. It ain't going to be because of my play because my play is going to always speak for itself, right? I'm always going to do what you wanted me to come here and do. Control what you can control. Yeah.
we have a lot of young athletes who follow the page and, and will likely be um, who, who read the publication, who will likely be listening to this. I'm wondering if you can give a little bit of advice as to because again, like I think that conversation with your wife and your father is so that's really important to emphasize. And now you've had this wonderful second chapter that that I want to dive into as well, where you have this whole other sense of self. So how important do you think it is for athletes? Again, your whole life feels like basketball or football or baseball track, whatever it is. How important is it to not have your sense of self anchored in your athletic ability? Um, that's hard not to do, honestly, man. Because if you're if you're really shooting for, you sacrifice a lot. You know what I mean, um, you mm. you give up a lot because you have to work out, you have to train, you have to take care of your body. You have to. You're missing family. You've been and stuff like that because you're on tournaments, you're traveling, and you're you're working out, right? You're shooting for the dream, and it's a very small percentage that actually make it. That make it to the level I made it to, and when I make it to the NBA, even smaller percentage, right? And if you're able to be one of those lucky chosen few. I mean, you had to sacrifice a lot to get there. You had to put in a lot of time in the gym or, or you know what I mean, on the court, whatever the case may be, or the field, depending on, you know what I mean, whatever your sport you're playing. So it kind of becomes your identity because that's how everybody knows you. They're like, oh, man, that's, that's Darren, that's the Hooper, or whatever like that, right? And it becomes part of your identity. And you give so much time to it. It's hard to separate the two. Um, for me, I wasn't able to separate it until I was done with it. I didn't go out the way nobody wants to go out on injury, but like so, I didn't go out the way that I wanted to. But I had to like step back and realize the career that I had and appreciate because some people don't even make it, or some people get a taste of it and get cut, and that's it. Like they don't get another opportunity, right? So it's hard to separate yourself while you're in it. What I the advice I will give to people, to especially to younger kids. Constantly keep working on your game, no matter what sport you're in. Constantly keep working on it. Constantly keep playing. Take care of your body. And, um, you know, I mean, if you're trying to go to school, like if you're trying to get scholarships to school, work on your grades. That's supportive. Listen to people that are older than you that have been there before you because they're trying to give you good advice. Now, not everybody gives the best advice, but a lot of them are trying to give you good knowledge because they've been through it before in some shape, form, or fashion. Whether it's like, I didn't, whether they didn't make it to the level you're trying to make it to, but it's like, listen, this is why I didn't make it. People that are willing to give you advice, take it and use it to the best of your ability, right? And if you are, if you do make it to the level where you're playing pro and you're making money for the sport that you gave your blood, sweat, and tears to, save your money. Um, as quick as it comes, as quick as it goes, save your money because you know, I mean, if you do have a long career, that means when you come out of it, you got a mortgage, you might have a family, a car, you got bills to pay, and you've been living a certain lifestyle for a number of years, and that money, that big money stops coming, and that life is still, those bills are still coming, so you have to hopefully have things saved and um, to give you time to figure out what you want to do next in life, right? And it also, as much as you love this, what you're playing, if you do have another, something else that you like, like photography or anything else for example do that document your experience man work on your craft on the side not as hard as you're working on your main craft but like it's good to have another outlet to free your mind from the pressures that you put on yourself 
And now I think that's a, a great transition into this sort of really fascinating second chapter that that you took on. And and you you mentioned her earlier, um, your your wife. So could you maybe start with because it's a for people who don't know a neat tie in into how you got introduced to photography. Obviously, you're you direct content now you can kind of get into a little bit of of what you do currently now and how you first got involved with it post playing career um yeah so i had a very bad injury to end my career so after the rehab learned to walk and everything again um me and my wife were at home and she she was like going out to lunch with her friends and getting to take pictures of her that she could post on social media because she was working with some brands so i was home and i was like one day she couldn't find somebody to take a picture for her. I was like, I'm home. I could do it for you. I mean, how hard it could be is you just press a button. You point it, you press a button, right? And um, I was bad at it. I wasn't that good at it at all. And my wife was like, we're, we're best friends. And she's like very honest with me. And I'm very honest with her. She was like, these pictures suck. She's like, you're six, seven. You're freakishly tall. You can't shoot me from your height. You got to get better angles. So not to feel embarrassed like that. Again, I started like looking up on YouTube and finding YouTube tutorials about how to do photography and how to take photos. And then the area I was living in, I was living in Calgary, Alberta at the time in Canada. I would hit up local photographers and find a picture on their website that I liked and ask if I could meet up for coffee or tea or lunch and ask them to break down in the photo. How did they do it? You know what I mean? Or how did they come by making this? And then trial and error, trying myself, and I ended up getting pretty good at it to the point where brand started um, asking my wife, like, who shoots your content? And she's like, oh, my husband does. So they start hiring me. So she's like, shoot, park photos for them and things like that and I started working with some really cool brands because of it and then um we moved to Toronto and my wife was in the L'Oreal commercial and I was shooting behind the scenes for the commercial and I watched them build the set like from nothing from an all white site nothing to build this grandiose closet shooting my wife and break it back down to nothing again and it reminded me of basketball it was a big team atmosphere and I was like man I want to be part of this world this world seems really cool so um, from there, I started going to little events, trying to meet people in the industry, and I uh, met Frank Pacetti, and she got me on set as a PA, and I started PAing and, um, until I figured out what I wanted to do in the film industry, and I met Peter Hatterfield, and he was a DP, and he broke down what a DP does and how they shape light to help tell a story with composition and camera movement, and I was like, man, I want to do what you do, and that is amazing. It's like my eyes just opened and so at that point I started shooting my own stuff to be a DP to be a director of photography and I started um shooting a bunch of spec work shooting you know, with brands would hire my wife for something I would like shoot the photos but also make a video of it to send it out to them to see if they like it to get some feedback for it and just training myself and then um I kept doing that and I kept um I'm a big people person so I'm a big networker so I kept you know, you get the call sheet on center. I'll save the call sheet and contact the people trying to get me. And it's a lot of rejections because I'm just starting out. I'm not, I wasn't great or anything like that. So, you know, I meet with directors, producers, and they were very nice, but it was like, not, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not forget this one director I'm having a, a drink with. And he was like, yo, it's like, I see you have an eye for this and your work um, is good right now, but it's not at the level of where I'm at. Um, so, so he's like, maybe like five or seven years, give me a call. And yeah, it'll probably be to where I'll be able to hire you. And I looked at him and I was like, yo, give me two. I'll get there. 
And um, I constantly kept shooting, constantly kept hitting people up. And then the pandemic happened. And I uh, talking with my friend, I realized that everybody was at home, just like me, stuck in their house doing nothing. So they could probably answer the emails. So I started emailing people again, um, trying to get Zoom meetings and showing my work. And then they had time to actually look at my work. So when things started opening back up and we started um, opening up the film industry again, I went back to PAM, but I might have paid on like one or two jobs. And I got a phone call that was like, yo, a DP pulled out of this commercial. Can you shoot it tomorrow? Not a huge budget, but I was like, yo, well, I could, I could DP. Yes, come on it. And I took my wife with me because it was like still COVID. They like drive the house to, to Talon's house to shoot them. And she was um, there helping me. And it was like a very small crew. And it ended up being a national commercial. I ended up watching it on TV. It, was a, it ended up being a Raptors commercial with OLG. And we, um, why do it be premiered during the bubble? I don't know if you remember everybody was playing in the bubble for the NBA. And we had on TV like that. And I was like, I have a national TV commercial now that I shot. So I had more leverage. So I started hitting the same people up again. Like, hey, yo, you, I shot this spot. Did you get a chance to see it? I'd love to work with you. And I just kept networking and getting opportunities and learning and doing better and better and better work to where I'm at now, where I'm shooting national TV commercials consistently. And I just finished shooting my first um, TV show. I had a film get into some of the big, biggest festivals in the world this past year. And I'm still early in my career, still climbing and grinding because I have these levels that I want to hit and um, I'm enjoying it. But a lot of the, lot of the hustle and the work ethic that I'm using right now is what I got from basketball. So instead of being in the gym three, four times a day, I'm exercising a different way, just like watching films and reading articles and studying tutorials or taking meetings. So, you know what I mean? I'm still working out three, four times a day, just in a different way. That's the beauty of sports, man, is it's transferable skills. All of it, all of it. It's funny, I, I will say as another tall guy and I've I've got a petite girlfriend, gone through the same thing. I'm not I'm not a professional <laughs> photographer, but I'm taking the, the boyfriend course on photography, man. Uh, yeah. I remember our first trip and we were in New York, funnily enough, and oh she I made her look too tiny in every photo. Yeah, I got the uh, I got the tutorial after that. But I'm curious, when you were first walking into these creative spaces, you're walking in as a six seven guy, right? Like the, you look at you go, hey, that guy may have played basketball, or maybe they know your background, or or you're either way, you're coming in as the new man on campus. And I'm wondering, we talked about those days on varsity when you're getting hazed. What was the adjustment period in the creative field? Obviously, not in the same way as as a New York basketball locker room, but I don't know. Did you face any whether it's gatekeeping or a learning curve okay this is the way i have to navigate this space this sort of wasn't like sports i wasn't like no hazing anything like that um most people on a film set are smaller than me so i mean jokes like you don't have to be intimidated by me i'm a very nice guy <laughs> but uh nothing like that it was more sort of learning curve of learning equipment learning positions learning i was just so eager to help so like if i see somebody need help i'm running over to help them it was like yo i'm not part of that crew you got to let that crew do their job. So it was like learning things like that, learning set etiquette, learning when to ask questions, when not to ask questions. Because the PA, you know what I mean, a, a, a bulk of your work you're doing at the top of the day and at the end of the day. So you have like a long period to chill in between and you're just watching and learning and um, you want to ask questions. You want to 
you see, you're trying to learn more and you end up bothering people when they jobs that you know, I learned to like only ask questions when I see they had the downtime to answer them. They had the time to where they could breathe and relax because sets up moving and it's a very stressful environment. Um, it was like the learning curves that I had there. Like I said before, there weren't no haze or anything. And most people didn't, didn't know that I played basketball or anything like that. They just thought I was a tall. A lot of people thought I was in the grip department because I was so tall and I could like mm. strong. So I was lifting this carry stuff. So I thought, oh, they got a big person in the grip department over here. So, you know, mm. people would come up to me and ask me like, hey, you know what I mean? What's your name? What you doing on set? To- what, 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 what are you doing on set today? And I'll explain to them, well, yeah, I'm, and what I'm doing on set. And they'll go, oh, that's cool. And then eventually it started getting known around the industry that I used to play professional basketball. And everybody was like, oh, that's why he's so tall. Makes sense now, right? Um, but most people, like, didn't care. And like I said, they just thought I was like a grip guy or something like that because I was tall and I could reach stuff easily. And I was such a, I'm, I'm such a hard worker that I'm quick to learn. I'm always willing to learn. I'm not scared to ask questions to learn. And I, I work very hard. So even when I might mess up on something, I'll double time it to make up for it, right? And people like my energy and like that I was willing to work hard. I was willing to be the first one of the first people in, one of the last people out. And, um, you know what I mean, help to try to get the best of the project, right? So people enjoy that about me. And then um, that's that. So yeah, that's why it made them want to get to know me better, or maybe want, maybe made them want to hire me more. Mm. And the onset etiquette—that's so fascinating to me, and, and things that I never really would have considered, right? But of course, makes sense when it's a production with so many moving parts. But I think on that front, the social front and also the technical front, such an important skill is trial and error just being willing to try and fail as, as a creative, also an athlete. Can you speak to the importance a little bit of putting yourself out there being, having a willingness to fail? Of course, nobody wants to fail and nobody plans to fail, but failure can be really good. Failure is good when you're able to learn from your failings and that will help you improve and grow as an athlete, as a filmmaker, as a person. Right. So um, it's okay to fail. And as long as you're learning from it, and hopefully your failures don't hurt your career too bad. Right. Hopefully it's just like a, a, a step back a little bit. And then from that lesson, you could take five steps forward. Right. Yeah. Sometimes your failures are not like crash and burn failures. Sometimes it's like things didn't work out the way that you wanted to work out. So you might consider it a failure, but like it really isn't. Like it's just because it's the pressure you're putting yourself like, I mean, like, I could look at my career as, as a hooper, as a failure, because I didn't make it to the NBA. But when I realized, like, I've seen the world when some plays in the NBA even have it yet. You know what I mean? I have friends all around yeah. the world. I ate dinner with some of the biggest CEO, CEOs that own these, some of these teams, or I ate dinner with some of the sheiks in Saudi Arabia and things like that, right? So yeah. I have all these great and memorable experiences. So failure is, a, is the thing that you allow it to be. But um, it's okay to fail. It's okay to yeah. feel down for a little bit and pick yourself up and push forward even hard, harder. And just make sure when you do, because everybody feels throughout their life, it's part of life. When you do feel, you want to look at it, understand why you failed and how can you not make that same mistake and how can you progress from that? Because I feel like um, living is learning. Yeah. And it's so funny. Like I think when, again, when we talk about the notion of, of, detours 
it, exactly. It's so dependent on like even the idea of a, of a detour is okay. This is not really going according to plan, but it is so serendipitous in some ways. And of course, I'm sure you don't look back on a career-ending injury and say, "Oh, I, I'm thankful that happened." But the idea of okay, I'm I'm supposed like is there a notion of I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing right now? Like, does it feel like everything worked out as it was supposed to? Uh, I don't know. I'm still writing the story, man. So uh, mm. maybe maybe I have that a more definite answer for you on that in some more years. As of right yeah. now, tell you one thing: I'm enjoying the journey. I'm enjoying mm. to be able to talk to the youth and explain to them about if you have a passion for something, put yourself out there and try and make yourself uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, comfortability, like um, one of my friends, uh, uh, Gigi, she told me this quote, and I, I just live by it. It sticks with me. Comfortability is a silent killer of greatness. So sometimes you got to step out your comfort zone to take that next level up, right? So, um yeah, you know, I'm still writing this story, so hopefully I can look back one day like, yo, all this is meant to be, but like I had to pivot. I mean, basketball was not an option no more, and I knew I knew who I was as a person at that point. I didn't want to go into coaching. I didn't want to become a, a trainer. It was trying to figure out what's next, and I was blessed and lucky enough to find another passion in life that I really enjoy, and it has its ups and downs like everything, but like the, the pros outweigh the cons so much. And I'm able to see aspects of a debt reminds me of my first love of ball, right? So I feel very lucky and blessed in that aspect. And I'm able to give back now and tell people and kids like, yo, film with something you could do. Or if you want to build chairs, like you could do this, man. You just got to put yourself out there and put the effort. That's beautiful. Well, I think that's a perfect, a perfect note to conclude on, Daryl. I really appreciate all your time and your insight. I know people, not just athletes, but people across all all um, industries and backgrounds are going to be able to take a lot from this. So I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being part of the um, podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into our episode of Detours featuring Daryl Wong. Be sure to stay tuned for more insight from Canada's greatest sports figures. We have some really fascinating episodes coming up, so we invite you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the interview. In the meantime, we also invite you to take any nugget of knowledge that might help you find your own detour. Who knows? You might be our next guest. <laughs>